You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Father, we're grateful that your word has the ability to call us to unity by your Holy Spirit to bring us around when we ourselves are not what we should be, when we ourselves are divisive. Lord, you have made it so that here in this body you reign supreme and we are grateful. And so this morning as we look at this church, this body of believers in Corinth that had so many problems, let us be grateful that you have, it is you who brings unity. It is you who brings love. It is you who brings humility and bestows it upon your believers in the church. And so this morning as we study, let us be open to the counsel and to the admonition of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And I say that not because, just so you'll wonder, uh, did he see something? No. Just I know what's in my heart. And I have to ask the Lord each day to help me to be open to his counsel, to his admonition, to his exhortation. So last week, we left off with verse 7. Excuse me. Where am I? Verse 9. I get these little things mixed up. Verse 9. So let's open by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through verse 17. 1 through 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 17. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called, into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no division among you, but you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, Well, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius that no man should say they were bab- you were baptized in my name. Now, I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ should not be made void. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> he's going to exhort them in verse 10. And we're going to get to that, but in the first 10 verses of this book, he refers to the Lord Jesus Christ, or Christ the Lord, 10 times. I think it was 10. I think I counted 10. A bunch of times. He's calling us to, he's calling Corinth back to Jesus. Calling them back to the foundation, 
calling them back to the Savior. Even as believers, he's calling them back. Because in Corinth, there appears to be divisions. There appears to be quarrels. And he's, gonna, he's going to deal with that. He says, um, God is faithful. And that's where Paul is hanging his hat, by the way. Not on the wisdom and humility and wonderfulness of the Corinthians, but on the fact that God is faithful. And that what God has started, God will finish. He knows that, that He has started a work in those Corinthians and He will finish it unto the day of Christ. And so he's, He says, God is faithful for through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So now He, gets, he, he begins the, the first volley, if you will, of dealing with the, the problems and the errors that were happening in the Corinthian church. And often, if not always, at the root of every problem is division, is I'm better than you, I'm smarter than you, I know more than you, I'm gooder than you. That's a new adjective today. Gooder. Goodest. Now I exhort you, brethren, he says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul was an apostle of God. And as such, for all the good it would have maybe done, he could have commanded the Corinthians to get along, to, to put away their divisions, to put away their, their um, disagreements. He could have commanded them that, but he didn't. He says, I exhort you. He takes a tone of supplication. And actually the word for exhort is parakaleo, which is a form of the same, of the, the noun which, from which we get the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the comforter. So he's coming alongside. He's calling them. He's summoning them. He's exhorting. He's entreating. And, and sometimes when it's necessary, we need to stop and meditate on the, the, the wholeness, the, the fullness of that word. Again, he could call them to this. He's an apostle. But he begs them. He says, I, I exhort you. I entreat you. I beg you. By the name Again, I think this is the tenth time that he uses it in the first ten verses of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. Now, let me ask you a question. Does everybody here agree on everything? What's the best flavor of ice cream? Chocolate. Oh, come on. Okay, I'm not teaching here anymore. <laughs> Strawberry. Uh, I'm still not seeing any hands. It's okay to raise your hand. Strawberry, strawberry, Okay. Uh, uh, Rocky Road. Okay, okay. Pardon me? Van- vanilla? Vanilla is a flavor? I thought that's what you started with to get ice cream. Okay. Excellent. And that's what happened in Corinth. <laughs> okay, I'm not deriding vanilla, but they started with something... And they added things to it until they became advocates of chocolate, advocates of vanilla, advocates of Rocky Road, if you will. Now, is it okay to disagree on ice cream? You bet it is. No? Okay. (laughs) Okay, this is going to be a fun morning. Paul calls them that they agree and there be no divisions. He's calling them to agreement on the Scripture. He's calling them to agreement on the core of the gospel, because that's what he's talked about the entire time, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't have fancy words. Um, 
He, he preaches the gospel is what he says. He says that earlier and he says it later. Uh, and when we get to verse 14, 12 through 14, we're going to see him really hone in on this. So he comes alongside the Corinthians. He entreats them. He admonishes them. He not only begs them, admonishes and encourages them, but he does it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who saved them. Because Paul is dealing with serial abuses. Now get this. This was something that was, that was cautionary for reading 1 Corinthians. Because he's dealing with serial abuses in this church and consistently admonishing and encouraging them and calling them back to proper behavior, we can lose sight of the fact. We can forget that this letter is intensely theological in nature. It's very, very theological in nature. Don't be afraid of that. Bad theology produces bad results, which ends up in bad behavior. That's why he is careful to correct their theological errors, their, their God errors, if you will, their Jesus the Lord errors. He must correct their false theology first. And so he, first, he starts out by coming alongside them in a manner that bespeaks, if you will, the way that the Holy Spirit comes alongside a new believer and, and empowers them to live a holy life. Not that Paul is the Holy Spirit. He's not claiming that. And he appeals to them as a brother, even calling them brethren. Um, sometimes, I've heard, you've got to be careful who you associate with. Well, Paul is choosing to associate with the Corinthian believers because they are brothers. Mistaken in many cases, but they are brothers, brothers and sisters. So, what is he doing here? He's calling them to agreement. He wants them to be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Local, uh, local leaders, I want to talk to you about the leadership a little bit first as I, as I think about this. And, and there's going to be some of my own interjections in here, and I'll make sure you know what those are. And it, hands can be raised, and you can frown at me if you want. But interesting, interesting stuff here. The local church leaders must learn, if they haven't already, to come together and make decisions based on Scripture, and to be in harmony with one another in their decisions so that the body will not be confused. Nor will it be forced to make a choice of leadership. This presupposes that the leadership... Now, every time you hear me say the word leadership, can you in your mind substitute the word servant? Because true leadership understands that they are responsible to serve as many people as possible. That's all leadership is. is it's a, it's a, an elevation, if you will, to a place of submission to the Lord in serving is more people if you can. More, more service, more people to take care of. This presupposes that the servant leadership is well taught in the Word and that they have a growing and loving relationship with the Lord. If, if we're going to have agreement and we're going to be no divisions in a church. It, it presupposes that they're well taught in the Word. They have a growing relationship with the Savior. They must be men who know their deficiencies. They are humble. They are teachable. They're not quarrelsome. They must be men who have been uh, acknowledged by the body to demonstrate the requirements God has for servant leadership that Paul detailed in the books of Timothy and Titus and elsewhere, but specifically there. If the servant leadership is not united, it is inevitable that the body will not be united. So Paul calls the body to speak in the King James. It says he calls them to speak the same thing. When we come to Scripture and we discover and begin living out the core teachings of the gospel, they need to be the same thing in all of us, wouldn't you say? Is, is salvation by grace through faith? We all agree on that. Okay, that's an important thing. Is, is um, there a trinity in heaven? Father, Son, Holy Spirit? 
Three different persons in one God? Okay. And that's what Paul's talking about. If your flavor of ice cream is different, if the teacher you like more than one other is different, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And we're going to get to a little bit more about that in a minute here. Uh, So he calls them to speak the same thing and have no divisions and be perfectly joined together or made complete. This speaks... This, this made complete speaks of mending things that were broken, such as torn fishing nets, broken bones, dislocated joints. These are in other places in scriptures where this word is used. Broken bones, dislocated joints, torn garments, and broken utensils. This, the idea is to put something back together so that it's useful again. Believers should be joined together internally and externally in this way. Those in leadership, servant leadership in the church, while not definitely not infallible, are necessary and they should be respected, loved, and followed as they follow the Lord and only as they follow the Lord. And if their servant leadership is true to the the Word of God, they won't point themselves, point to themselves. Don't follow me. Follow the Lord. That's what they will point to. The body with servant leadership like this should be a group of Bereans who learn from their teachers but are scholars themselves in the Word and are able to admonish and teach and correct as needed as well. The Corinthians were counseled to be of the same mind and judgment which rules out false unity. Paul's not talking about some superficial unity that everybody claps their hands and and sways in unison. He's talking about judgment and about biblical doctrinal unity. It's not some, and this is in a local congregation, this is not, he's, not that we shouldn't be in unity with other congregations, with other body of believers throughout the the world. This is not some mystic universal church unity that he's talking about, but rather doctrinal purity and in love that should exist in a local congregation. God's not a cookie cutter. Don't misunderstand me. Um, And so this is not to say that every Christian will sound like a parrot of the person standing next to them or sitting next to them. Every believer is unique and, and has a place and a responsibility that the Holy Spirit will direct them into. Every believer has a position and a purpose in God's, in God's counsel. But when it comes to doctrine, standards, and such things, the church should be of one mind. We should be of one mind. When leadership in a church has to make a decision, now this is me, and, and I didn't talk to Jim about this beforehand. <laughs> so, here we go. And people are going, all right, this is, we're going to see some disunity here. Just, let, just demonstrate it. No, you're not. When a church has to make a decision, when leadership, servant leadership makes a decision, it's in my opinion, and I, and I believe I have good co- uh, company, that it should be a unanimous decision. It should be agreed upon by all in leadership. This four to one or three to one, I don't see that in the Trinity. Holy Spirit says, okay, I'll go along with you in Jesus, but it doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't happen. That never happens. Now, <laughs> time should be taken when one or more who are in a position of servant responsibility cannot quite see it the same way as the others. This may be an indication of uh, that the original decision is, is in need of tweaking or is wrong or, or that some teaching needs to occur to the person who is the, the holdout, if you will. This is an opportunity for the members that are in leadership to invest in one another and to come to see and to come to one mind in a biblical manner. I, I'm of the opinion that most things in, in, in the church are not emergencies most of the time. And they don't have to be acted upon in a hasty manner. Um, And I see that here. I saw that here before I became involved in being one of the servants. 
And here's why. Because the three persons of the Trinity are of one mind, this is our example. Now, we'll never have the perfection of unity that the Godhead has, but it should be something that we strive for, but in humility and in gentleness. Galatians 6.1, if you see a brother caught in something, restore such a one with a spirit of humility. Uh, and everywhere in Scripture that we're called to encourage and admonish one another, we're to check our attitudes at the door first. God doesn't have to do that because He's perfect. The Trinity doesn't have to do that. We need to strive for humility, or excuse me, strive for unity, but in humility and gentleness. Unity glorifies God. It's something we should strive for. True unity, which unites around sound biblical teaching, brings glory to God. And that, of course, is the primary reason for unity. And so striving for unity, we must always remember, as Paul did with the Corinthians, to teach the Corinthians that the way we strive for unity is incredibly important. And so he said, I beseech you, brethren, rather than shape up, you argumentative jerks, which I'm sure there are flowery Greek words for, had he wanted to use that, had the Holy Spirit directed him. He said, I beg you. And so when we look at unity, this I, just, I assembled some... Some of the verses I found that, that speak of unity, there was a lot. So I, I, I picked and chose. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Ephesians 4.3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Our unity should be preserved and bound together by peacefulness. Ephesians 4.13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We have a hope for full unity in the, in the day to come, in the day of the Lord. Colossians 3.14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. If you're, if you're loving and gentle first, unity becomes much easier to attain in the church. John 17, 23, I in them, Jesus said, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. This is his prayer for us, for the church, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me, even as you have loved me. 1 Peter 3, 8, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. 1 John 4, 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us produces unity. Romans 12, 16. Be of the same mind one, toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. What I talked about earlier, Paul was associating with the Corinthian church, which was a known, that town and that church was a known problem. And Paul called them brethren. But do not be called rabbi in Matthew 23, 8. For one is your teacher and you are all brothers. Servant leadership. Philippians 2.1, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, and if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, and I think on these things. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Peter, we'll talk about Peter in a moment. So unity can be maintained even when confrontation must occur. It can. Just be sure your attitude is correct and that you are humble about what you are about to do. You have carefully researched the situation. You might even have a good resolution. You should have a good resolution. Remember Galatians 6.1, as I mentioned earlier, that you approach the other person in a spirit of humility with the intention to mend and to restore in love. Whether it is another person in the church or someone in servant leadership does not matter. 
What matters is that phrase, made complete in the same mind. Again, the idea is one of mending a net and making it useful again. Most often, unity is destroyed not because of teaching, but because of attitudes and ego. And it is maintained because of proper attitudes and lack of ego. And so, as Paul approaches the first admonition of the Corinthian church, as he begins to deal with their doctrinal errors, their bad theology, which has resulted in bad behavior, he starts out calling them to to unity. I am grateful to be in a body that God has built unity into. It's because I've been in others. I've been in some others. And I hasten to say some of it was of my doing. I wish I was perfect in every instance, but I know better. And I'm grateful for brethren who were able to come to me in a 1 Corinthians 1.10 attitude and say, come back to unity. God is good. And He's good to His church. Any concerns or questions about chapter 1, verse 10? Comments? It's a great introduction Paul gives us in just a few words to the beginning of dealing with the trouble. So in verse 11 he says, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, it's not known really just who this Chloe was, but there's ample conjecture, and I'll give you a little bit of it. It's fun to speculate. This is sanctified speculation, but it's not doctrinal speculation, okay? We don't know who she was for sure. Uh, Clark said in his commentary, he said, This was doubtless some very religious matron at Corinth. He says she was at Corinth. Whose family were converted to the Lord, some of whom were probably sent to the apostle to inform him of the dissensions which then prevailed in the church at that place. Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, Achaicus mentioned were probably sons of this Chloe. That's what the commentator Clark thinks. That, that Fortunatus, where did I go? Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus were probably the sons of Chloe. And so it may very well have been those guys who came and reported to Paul about the things that were going on. Others believe she may have been from Ephesus, with one commentator conjecturing this, and this was an interesting comment. If she were from Corinth, referring to her as Paul did, as his source of information would have gotten her in trouble with the local church. You're tattling on us, is what they might have said, with all the problems Corinth had. We don't know that. She would not have been a tattletale, however. She would not have been, but rather someone who was concerned about the situation at the Corinthian church, of which Paul was the founder, and wanted to see restoration. So they took it, they went to the person that would have the most ability, the most influence to deal with it, Paul. The report was of quarrels, and those quarrels were precipitated by adherence to different teachers, or so they thought in their minds, but who really taught the same thing. So any questions? About verse 11, I've been informed by Chloe's people. Verse 12, now Paul says, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, now I can just picture how, how this would be said by someone who would be saying it. I am of Cephas. The guy next to him, oh yeah, I am of Paul. I got him in reversed order, but we'll get that at home. We'll get that in a moment here. So each one of them would have claimed their own teacher would have claimed, and in so doing, it seems like, would have claimed their own doctrine, would have claimed their own body of teaching. And that's just not true. Paul explains that. It is apparent from this text that the believers in Corinth had overdone their devotion to their leadership, their servant leadership, 
and becoming exclusive in their veneration. All of this was wrong. Wrong. I'm going to talk about measure, measuring here in a minute, and you carpenters will get it. Maybe I, if I've got a good metaphor, you'll see. But, but we've got to keep our minds focused on and our hearts on the, the Word of God and the Son of God, not on the teachers of God in one, in one sense. So what's happening here is the Corinthian church had formed factions. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am Cephas. I am of Cephas or Peter. Well, I am of Christ. Um, there would be the group who would say we were the most spiritual. We are following the man who founded the church, our church, and, and was the first and foremost teacher we had. That would be Paul. The second group would allege that they were following the great orator who had confounded the Jewish infidels. That would be Apollos. The third group were sure they were the most spiritual because they looked to the greatest apostle. And it's likely most of these were Jews. And last was the group who would claim, of course, they were the most spiritual because they weren't following mere men. They were following Jesus. This was a recipe for disaster and disunity. Any leader that fosters or encourages devotion to himself is not the servant of the people. And, and you, can translate, you can transpose this into politics. Do that on your own time because it, you're going to need somewhere, place where you can vomit while you're doing it. But... But you can, you can transpose it into politics, the same thing, but it's principally our most important, the most important area we need to recognize this is in the church, as Paul does here. Any leader that fosters a devotion or, 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 uh, or encourages um, veneration of himself is not a servant of the people. He's not a servant of the people, but rather an irritant to the church an ego-driven irritant to the church. <clears throat> True servant leadership recognizes that it is the Word of God and the Son of God who must have the devotion of the church, of the believers. John the Baptist said it the best that I can think of when he said, I must decrease that he might increase. And that should be the attitude of any teacher, any servant leader. Unfortunately, very often these types of factional situations occur and, and those who are being elevated may not even know about it. So you talk about when you used MacArthur as an example. I am certain of, because of what I know about the man that if he thought someone were elevating him, he would do everything he could to stop it. That's what, Paul's, that's what Paul does here. And, and it's, it's cool. How, cool is not a biblical term, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's, it's really interesting, I should say, how he does it. When they find out, when a servant leader, however, finds out that he or she, well, he is being elevated to a position he shouldn't have, he must do everything in his power to encourage the believers to focus back on the Word of God, back on the Son of God. Devotion to anyone but Christ is misplaced devotion and can harm the unity of the body. Boasting in a leader is actually boasting in yourself. Look how smart I am to be following the right guy. Um, I was thinking about this. This is kind of not in my notes, but this morning as I was trying to, as I was praying and thinking about this, this lesson this morning. <clears throat> we do this. What is, what is the favorite saying of a carpenter? Measure once and cut twice? What's the favorite? Measure twice and cut once. Okay, now imagine this, carpenters. I cut one two-by-four to stud length. What is that, 92 and 5 eighths? Okay. I've got one two-by-four cut to stud length. I don't use my tape measure. I use that board... To measure every board in the house, and I, I draw a line, and I cut every board. 
Okay, oddly enough, that house will probably be okay. Every board will be the same, pretty close to the same length. But the last board I cut, I take that one and I put the original template there in the wall. And I keep the last board I cut that was supposed to go there. And that becomes my template for the next wall. Unknown to me, it's a 73rd, I'm going to make up a number, of an inch off. That's my new template. Now I build my next house with that. Probably that house is going to be pretty well done. It's going to all match. But unknown to me, it's a little bit longer than the one before it. Statistically, there'd be longer and shorter. And over a period of a generation, what you would end up with is people walking into a house and going, Whoa, look how tall those walls are. What do you mean? I measured every one. What did you measure it with? Pardon me? That's how we got nine foot walls. And that's what happens when we use a commentator or a teacher or something other than the scripture as our, as our foundation, as our standard. We get off, even if they're good. And we may be in a group of people for a while that are substantially okay. But, but God is not looking for substantially okay. He's looking for agreement. He's looking for houses that are built with the same measuring tape. Houses that are of the same standard. Was that an analogy that, that don't venerate the measuring board that's being used at the time? Please, please. Well, all of you here know better because you all know me. What happens is we get somebody teaching who we maybe don't know very well and we begin to venerate them. Don't do that. I don't see that in this group. Maybe those who might listen to this, this uh, recording... Don't venerate people. They're not the measuring tape. The Lord Jesus Christ is. The Word of God is. We have the same thing happening in our country today, and I'm going to wax a little bit political. Why do we have so many disagreements on what the state should be doing? Because in constitutional schools, we don't teach the Constitution. We teach constitutional law. We teach stare decisis, which is adhering to the decisions made. And so we have generations of decisions made, and we have courts that look at those decisions, maybe going back one or two decisions and making their decision based on that. They never go back to the foundation, the Constitution. And so we've gotten hundreds of miles from the original wording. Is that, that's less than a billionth of a percent as important as deviating from the Word of God. Because out of it, all truth flows. All truth. The Constitution is not a sacred document, by the way. I hear a lot of people say, oh, it's inspired. No. It's good. It's the best thing we've ever come up with. But it, it isn't a fly speck on the galaxy window of God's truth compared to the Scripture. Good isn't perfect. This is perfect. This is what we must adhere to. Not a teacher, not a church, but the Word of God and the Son of God. And so that's Paul was calling them back to. And, then, and, and it's ironic. It's ironic. I'm following the right guy, is what these people would say. Look at me how smart I am. And so the followers of Cephas, here's what Peter said. It's ironic that those who were following him didn't see the paradox of their position. Peter himself cautioned his readers that they should focus on the word given by God rather than to him. Even a guy who heard God speak from heaven. I heard the voice of the majesty from heaven on high. So... Or pay attention, or but, 
We have the prophetic word made more sure to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. All teachers, good or bad, are lamps shining in a dark place. The word is the lamp until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. So the people who were following Peter, if they would just pay attention to what he said, he said, don't, don't pay attention to me. Pay attention to the sure word, the sure word. It's one thing to appreciate one teacher more than another, and that's all well and good. Do not become a groupie, though. (laughs) Let your devotion be giving only to the Lord. One commentator put it this way. He said, It is one thing to prefer one minister to another, but we cannot divide into cliques behind one minister or another. One minister of Christ may justly be preferred to another. We ought to honor those most whom whom God most honored, either by a more plentiful giving out of his spirit or by a more plentiful success upon their labors. But we ought not so far to appropriate any ministers to ourselves as for them to despise others. We are not bound to make every minister our pastor, but we are bound to have a just respect for every minister who, by his doctrine and holy life, answers to his profession and his calling, his holy calling. And what does that imply? That implies that those of you who are listening to your teachers have your tape measure ready at all times. And those who are teaching will be grateful that you have your tape measure ready. I am grateful. You don't know how many times, hundreds you might think, thousands, of times after Sunday school I've had someone come up to me and say, um, you know, you might, and, and they were right. And I'm grateful for that. So what you're not getting up here is perfection. I'm devoted to the scripture. I'm devoted to giving you everything I can that I know is the truth. But I'm also grateful when you spot something and you let me know. I want the measuring tape to be this word, not me. I'm a bad measuring tape, a really bad one, because I don't even know how tall I am, really. In the morning, did you know this about humans? In the mornings, you're taller. And then after you've walked all day in the evening, you're just a little bit shorter. Don't use yourself as the measuring tape. The buildings will be up and down. (laughs) Build it in the morning, taller. Build it in the evening, shorter. So, any questions or comments about verse uh, 12? Paul is dealing with, with a difficult church, but remember, he called them first to unity. And he called, he called himself, if you will, alongside them. So Paul says in, in, in verse 12, <coughs> Now I mean this, each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. And he follows that with, he says, has Christ been divided? Is there quarters of the church that teach different things? Do we have four different teachings here? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? Christ himself cannot be divided. Indeed, the Trinity is one and in perfect agreement. This is our pattern, though we can never hope to imitate it perfectly in this life. Paul could not necessarily speak for the others. He kind of could as an apostle. But let's just just translate it into modern teaching. He couldn't necessarily speak for the others. But he could speak for himself and he wanted no part of this factionalism. He wanted no part of it. He said, do not line up behind me. He says... I wasn't crucified for you. He says, your baptism wasn't in my name. On your birth certificate, the parent is the Lord Jesus Christ, not Paul. 
Christ was crucified for you, and you were baptized into him. Later in, in uh, um, this very same book, Paul makes, he, he gets back to unity, and he talks about it again. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13, he says, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Our God is one, and we are to be unified under that one God. The Lord Jesus Christ himself, in his prayer to the Father in John 17, stressed unity. He said this in John 17, 20 through 22. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. There's one of the purposes for unity. That the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that, may be one, we, that they may be one just as we are one. The, the prayer that Jesus had was for the body of Christ to be unified. And it would glorify the Father and it would um, give another reason for the world to believe. Paul stressed this, in the issue, this issue in the book of Ephesians as well. He said in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. I almost put up two fingers. One faith, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so it is that we, when we fracture, we shame the Father. We weaken the church, and we hurt one another greatly. A story is told of an old, quarrelsome, contentious Quaker who went from one meeting to another, never finding the true church. Someone once said to him, Well, what church are you in now? He said, Ah, I am in the true church at last. Well, they asked, How many belong to it? Just my wife and I, and I'm not sure about her sometimes. That is not the attitude of a church that lives in unity. And I know of people whom I've tried to counsel, and we're going to close here, who I've tried to counsel who've been in other towns, other cities, cities of 30,000, 40,000, and they couldn't find a church. Now, there may be some cities like that, but I doubt it. I, I doubt it. Um, anyway, I've often said that this was a nice place until I got here. You had a good thing going. But you'll be the measuring tape. You'll use the word of God to check even the servant leadership. And I say even only because that seems to be the attitude nowadays. People who think they have it all together are the ones most in need of help, generally speaking, always speaking. I am so grateful that God has called us to unity. I'm so grateful that he then, by his Holy Spirit, builds unity into his church. It's his church, and he will not allow the, hate, the gates of hell to prevail against it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the unity of the Trinity. What an incredible example. What a blessed example. And we strive for that by the grace of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Let it always be with gentleness, with humility, with gratefulness, and with thankfulness. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name today. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.